0: Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Leadership Now with me, Dan Pontifrac. Tonight, today, hopefully forever in the house, Nilifer Merchant. Nilifer, good friend, but also co-founder of the Intangible Labs, a new venture of hers we're going to get into at length today. She's defining the metrics of 21st century value creation. Uh, Nilifer also is ranked as one of the top management thinkers in the world by Thinkers 50, as well as HR Magazine, her operating heft, as a tech executive at places like Apple, Autodesk, GoLive, and many more as a valued consultant, lends all these big ideas fidelity. She's been personally involved in shipping over 100 products, which netted $18 billion in revenues. She's the author of three books on how value creation grows, grows sorry, in distributed networks through shared purpose. Her most recent is The Power of Onliness. That Spot in the World. Only you stand in, a function of your distinct history and experiences, visions, and hopes for which also landed her the notable Future Thinker Award. The very best companies hire Nilifer to inspire and advise those who want to do more than manage today, but create or rather co-create the future. Nilifer, so good to see you, my friend. The Intangible Labs is uh, something pretty cool. Before we get into this, I'm hoping we can just level set a little bit on some terms so that uh, the audience can get up to speed on where where your future head has already been for the past 10 years. So one of them actually is, what is a culture of value creation? We start there and then we'll get into Intangible Labs.
1: Right. So creating value is different than uh, value capture. So I'm an expert in figuring out how to actually have products make money. And the make money part is how we often think about value and value creation, because we're thinking about what can be put in a pocket. Mm. And I'm backing up a little and saying, even before we can figure out the business model, there is actual value being created. Could be a product, could be a service. It could be a conversation that leads to a big insight. Those are all value creation activities. And largely what I'm doing there when I'm focusing on it is saying, there is value being created all the time, even if we're not measuring it. But if we don't understand if we're doing the right work together, we don't know if we're actually creating value together. So we have essentially lagging indicators when we're measuring, oh, did we were we able to put it in the pocket? But we don't have the leading indicators to say, oh, are we doing the kind of work we need to be doing?
0: Value okay. First. So with that definition, um, the Intangible Labs, which is launched in partnership with obviously a mutual pal of ours, Tim Castell who's Director of External Engagement and Associate Professor of Innovation Management at the University of Queensland. What exactly is the intangible Labs? Like what's the elevator pitch? And then we'll get into more real specifics about what you two are up to.
1: Absolutely. So we have currently two big buckets of metrics in the marketplace. One is what I'll call market metrics. So it says whether or not, you know, How many products have we shipped? How much revenue has that yielded? What's the level of productivity? What's the level of efficiency? Those kinds of things that we mostly look at and say, uh, it's the KPIs to say, did you accomplish X, Y, and Z? Mm -hmm. Because those are things we, it's outcomes-focused stuff. It's the stuff that most of us have our reviews done on, but it's also the stuff the market you know measures us by. That's one bucket. Second bucket we have in the world is what we might call employee engagement data that says basically how are each of us doing at work? And I like to think about it as how happy we are, right? Are you good? Good. Those two buckets of metrics are largely how we measure people at work. And what's missing if you kind of just think about it for a moment is the interaction layer. So we know how you individually are doing, Dan, you're happy, cool. And whether or not you're producing things. So are you producing certain books or certain outcomes? in money, right? So are you making enough money? And then how are Dan and Nilifer actually working all together to build value, to create new ideas, to work together? How would we possibly measure that interaction? Mm. We know it, we feel it, but we don't actually have any way of doing it. And the reason this matters is when you're a leader of a firm, and let's say you have multiple business units, and so you're trying to figure out how to get those guys to do the right behavior. I'm using guys, but you know what I mean? Y'all, everyone, right? Uh, It's not gendered, And uh, we're getting people to go, oh, go build the next new thing. And when I'm not in the room and you're not in the room, how do we know if they're doing what needs to happen to build the next new thing? We know it only by leadership books. Right. Which is perfectly fine at some level, but it's not anything anyone else can measure. So it's when I was talking to Beth Comstock, who was the former um, CMO of GE. And when I was and and several other companies, really brilliant executive. And when I talked to her about this project, she said, this is what I was looking for the whole time I was at GE. I would have paid you so much money (laughs) because she goes, here's the thing. When I left the room, I could inspire them. I could guide them. But when I left the room to go work with the next business lead. Did I leave them with anything practical so they could have a feedback loop within their own team to know, ah, this is what I'm doing. Mm. And and I commented back to her. I said, you know what they probably did when you left? They probably said, Beth would like this. That was their intuitive feel for whether or not they were doing the right thing. And what we need is more than an intuitive feel. We actually need to have a way of saying, are we doing what we need to be doing together?
0: It's fascinating because, of course so many organizations uh, are rife with these almost uh r- the the level of rigidity in the metrics and so whether that's your performance review whether that's the the notion of short termism and everyone working towards the stock price or what the analysts want or the ebitda for the quarter and it and it seems what you're trying to do is to pierce short termism with something that has far more uh, credibility in terms of what the organization needs to be focusing on, that helps the employee experience, that helps the employee engagement, but helps obviously then the, the innovation and kind of the, the downstream benefit for the future. So am I right in that assumption? And tell me a bit, expand a little bit more on where you're trying to go with it in terms of it being a, a, a kind of a beacon of hope for a new metric system.
1: Yeah. So it's a leading indicator. So, you know, I was talking to a business leader the other day and he had um, six business units, all doing really interesting things. Startups that he had acquired and were now underneath one umbrella. And he says to me, "Okay, so I need them to be having a culture of innovation, which I would measure by: are they ideating well? Are they building on each other's ideas? Are we actually solving a real market need? Those kinds of things." And he goes, "And and and what I'm being to be measured by, what the CFO and the CEO and the market is going to ask me is." are you producing X, Y, and Z? And he goes, long before I can produce X, Y, and Z, I have to know whether or not we're ideating well, whether or not we're building up each other's ideas, whether or not we're actually solving a real problem. And he goes, and in the gap between those things, between what I'm going to be measured by, by the CEO in the market, and what I need these people to be doing, I'm going to be figuring out how to basically measure them. By the way, I don't know what those questions are. Mm. I'm making shit up based on everything I know as a leader. And, you know, that's like said with great love, because every leader who's had this problem knows that. And then he goes, and then what I'm going to have to figure out to do is manage the tension of everything I'm being managed by with everything that's the right activity. And if I don't buffer that well, it fails. And he goes, and in about 18 months, the CFO is going to go, yeah, yeah, yeah. I hear that you're managing differently than these metrics, but what about the bottom line? Mm Mm-hmm. And he says that bottom line view will likely kill the culture of innovation. And so mm. the person whose problem I'm trying to solve is that person who is literally trying so hard to help his team do their best work and yet kind of caught in between a rock and a hard place of what that is. And that is not a leadership failure, Dan. That is actually a metrics failure, The mm. lack of metrics. And so that's it, the problem we're working to solve.
0: So Nilfer, it it reminds me of the age old old adage, uh, efficiency versus effectiveness. And so it sounds a bit like Intangible Labs is suggesting that we need to strive for effectiveness way before efficiency, because efficiency, you know, rips the heart out of an organization's innovation mindset. It's uh, blood from the stone. It's the do more with less before you ever get to anything that's actually culture and value creation um, related. Is that fair?
1: Yeah, and you know, I'm going through. Um, uh, I'm going to bring it down to a personal level because I think everyone will relate to this story. I, I, in some ways, I hope they don't relate to this story, but they probably will. So, you know, in a marriage, we could say, I've been married for 20 years, and that's an outcome. And then, but look back and go, what's the quality of the marriage? Are we listening to each other? Do we honor each other? Do we allow each person to flourish and become the person they're meant to be? Those are relational, interactional metrics. And I, I don't know about you, but like I really feel that when we don't have that, you know. And even on the outside, it can look like, by the way, oh, success, married for 21 years. Awesome. Checkbox. And at the same time, the interior of the life of these people could be really unhealthy. Mm-hmm. And right now what we're measuring in the marketplace of going back to business is the lagging indicator of 21 years to 22 years. Awesome. Progress. Check. And what we're not able to look at is that how are things going between the people? Because ultimately what is allowing us in a social economy and ideas economy and knowledge economy, a creative economy, whatever label you like to it, we're mostly building ideas together. And so our ability to actually listen to each other, co-create value together, right? Then we actually know whether or not we're more than the sum of our parts is what creates a great culture of innovation. And that's what we're going to measure that, what I'll call the interaction layer
0: of work. So it dawned on me that because when we started this this discussion, you and I, you're coming at it from two angles, two very important angles, right? There's the you know the uh, effectiveness, the operations of the business. We still need to think about EBITDA and so forth, right? But then you're thinking about the employee experience and sort of the culture of the organization. Are Are you suggesting then that the Intangible Labs might have the opportunity to finally replace archaic? data-driven points like employee engagement and come up with something far richer so that we can actually understand where these two entities uh, meet?
1: Yeah, I think if we're filling in a sandwich that has been left empty for too long. So talking about air sandwich, uh, which is a term I coined in my first book, but right now we have market-based things and Mm -hmm. we have employee engagement things. So we're able to understand the individual nodes and we're able to understand the market outcomes. Everything in the middle is how work actually happens. And right now we have zero metrics in that interaction <laughs> layer. So that, that's just sort of funny when you kind of think about it, because if we can only understand the individual nodes and we're doing work by connecting the nodes together, right? It's my yeah. idea plus your idea. And then more importantly, how do we form something by listening to each other that is more than the sum of our individual parts and then go, ah, Dan, I see that. And also if you go this way, it might be bigger and better. And then you'll go, oh, yeah. And then we start to build something that has more value in the marketplace. That piece, that magic.
0: I love it. Uh, Well, okay, IBM's um, Bruce Cameron, or William Bruce Cameron, actually, he once wrote rather famously, like, not everything uh, that can be counted counts, and not everything that counts can be counted. So it seems like a maxim tailor-made for the intangible labs because you're you're coming up with something that needs to be counted, but other things that you don't want to be counting. And you're sort of driving this, you know, as I say, like a beacon of hope and light to where leaders ought to be thinking their metrics might be. And so tell us a bit about the ultimate goal. The intangible labs is helping the leader of the organizations to dot dot dot.
1: We're giving leaders leading indicators to know whether or not their teams are
0: creating value. That's pretty good as a, as a plot line. And why would I want to sign up for that given where some organizations are? And again, some of those almost uh, antiquated and very stuck in the mud type of thinking. Like how do how do you help those those leaders who are stuck in that said organizational mud, but they want to break free. They want to use something like this
1: companies that want this, the teams that want this, it's leaders like Beth. Mm. It's leaders like, uh, I'm thinking about Patty McCord at Netflix. I'm thinking about Laszlo at Google. And these are all leaders I've had a chance to work with. And here's what's so fascinating is they knew they were missing this metric back then. Yeah, And they were doing their very best as leaders to duct tape the thing together. And that's why they wrote books. And that's why they're thinking about these things. And here's the thing, when they left, those cultures of innovation eroded. And so it's that leader who knows that they wanted to be beyond a personality, that they know what it is the right activities are, and they want to encourage and build an organization that can do that beyond themselves. Hmm. So I think that's the opportunity. And then I think it's work that, oh my gosh, I'm thinking, uh, you know, um, backing up a little. So in January, Tim Castell, who's my co founder, flew to America. And then we held a couple of conversation groups just to share what we had been thinking. Mm-hmm. Like, here's sort of like, you know, our dirty, like, here's everything we figured out. Here's what we've not <laughs> figured out. Like, just in conversation with people.
0: I saw and- I saw a photo of you working at the kitchen table on this, by the way. So exactly. I, can, I can. there's proof. Yes.
1: And Amy Edmondson was able to host us and has been a supporter of Intangible Labs from the first time she heard of it. And at one point, she's staring really hard at a slide that I have put up, which has what I consider to be, there's going to be this metric. The metric has three levers. I can walk you through those. And underneath those were data questions that we thought we'd use as input into the three levers that would get to the metric. Okay. At one point, I'm sharing the sort of first pass of what these questions might be. A little intimidating because I've been thinking about it for three to six months and really like, hmm, am I right? Am I wrong? I don't know. Yeah, what do we know? Right. We we have like a basic hypothesis now. And Amy's staring at it and staring at it. And she's probably staring at it for I don't know it felt like forever, but it was probably like 10, 15, 20 minutes. It was a long time. The slide was up and she's just lock scoped on it. And I'm a little like, oh, God, she either hates it or she loves it. But I can't tell from her face. So as the evening goes on, we, we have a lovely working session. And then afterwards, she walks up and says, I've been studying psychological safety for 20 years to get to the point of where it is now. And she goes, what's interesting is your questions get to psychological safety and more. Oh, And so she said, what's interesting is the questions themselves, they were like, you know, I'm not saying they weren't original, but that was sort of the least interesting part. The fact that they were comprehensive lets us start to understand all the different ways in which we need to work together to have safety, to have learning, to have trust, to have co-creative, you know, energy. And she goes, it's that combination Mm. and the completeness of those things that would tell us whether or not we're on our right path. And I remember thinking, oh my God, let me die right now because I feel like it was such a good compliment. Not not that we're done, yeah. but that we're on the right path. And in fact, Amy and I are getting together in a couple of weeks to actually spend some more time with those questions and research and just keep seeing. Because my goal ultimately with the Intangible Labs, Tim and my goal is we're certainly starting it, but we want this to be the uh, Cape Crusaders. We're not trying to do uh, work just by ourselves and say, Oh, this is what Tim and I came up with. What we're looking for is the League of Justice so that a whole bunch of people who are caring about very much the same things, right? Dan, you've been caring about these questions for as long as I've known you. Amy's been worried about these questions for as long as I've known her. We're all going, but we're trying to do it two separately. And what I'm hoping happens through this effort is we start to learn how to come together in some way that would let all leaders start to have a new set of metrics, so that's the ambition. That's probably the biggest ambition is to Gosh. figure out how to get us under a common umbrella.
0: That's a wonderful story, particularly with Amy and the analogy with the superheroes. If I can play the token Canadian and Ryan Reynolds, Deadpool, I'm, uh, I'm there for you.
1: You're in. T-
0: t- tell us a bit about the three, the three levers now that sort of go into this.
1: Absolutely. So remember when I, uh, when I said to you that Tim and I had done this research Uh, we had done it 10 plus years ago. We studied 3000 companies and we had an X-axis and a Y-axis. And basically it was asking, can you get ideas from anywhere and anyone? Mm. And can you align those ideas together against a shared purpose? So can you actually join them together in a way that makes that idea grow? And those turned out to be not just two axes, but three. So the first one is, is anyone able to add ideas so that runs like, are you able to access new ideas? What's the ideation rate? Second is, are those ideas being joined together in such a way that they're building real and robust solutions? Because right. it's not really, it's not important. You know, We can all work at companies where we just do our individual little siloed part, but real valuable work happens when we're greater than the sum of our parts. That's why right. we don't join organizations. That's the opportunity. Right. Third, is our multiple interests being valued and integrated? And that third one gets to, do I care just about the shareholders or do I care about the community and the land? Do I care about Mother Earth? Do I care about the different ways in which our long-term effect and those interests are being integrated into the work? And those three turn out to be levers, by the way, that Mary Parker Follett has talked about since 100 years ago. Drucker talked about it. Amy Edmondson talks about it. Chris Argyris talks about it. This is not New. Those three levers are not new. What we haven't done, though, is figure out how to operationalize it, Mm. which is where I'm getting to. This metric. A metric is a way to operationalize the things we know to be true. That's the goal.
0: It's it's fantastic. And so, where my mind races now to
1: brain worrying. It's great. Yeah.
0: (laughs) So, did you see the smoke? Is that that what it was? Right.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah, it's it's dusty. That's what it is. Nilfer's <laughs> dust. Um so when you think about it it's really kind of this it's 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 both a humanistic and a mathematical model in essence um where if you're trying to unearth the metrics and the actions so that value creation is for all stakeholders and not just shareholders. How might that be different, if you will, for maybe a public company versus a private one versus a not-for-profit and even maybe public sector, like, you know, certain municipalities or governments?
1: Yeah, I think there's two really good questions nested in there. So let me see if I can tease them apart. Okay. Uh, the first is you didn't ask it this way, but I think you are asking this, which is, are you talking about the intrinsic value of people? Are you talking about the values by which we work? Are you talking about how that all ties to value creation? Right. That's effectively what you were asking with the first. part Yeah,
0: of that's a better way. <laughs> you 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 asked your a better question for yourself, so you can answer it now.
1: <laughs> yes, yes. I, I you know people. Uh, there was one really kind of I don't know. I don't want to call it annoying, but it kind of was annoying to me. Person who was like, define intangible, define value, define why values matter in some of the meetings, and I was just like, oh my gosh. Um, And the reason I'm saying it's a little annoying or irritating is because we know what the answer is. And one of the people who was asking it was somebody I'd actually featured in uh, Power of Onlyness, and he had done some tremendously interesting work figuring out how to get citizens, uh, I I mean, sorry, not citizens, um, people who are participants in the health system, like the, the people who are sick, to provide data, have that data actually add up to something more than anecdotes so that they could actually change the pharmaceutical industry and shape what was designed that guy who had done this intangible value creation process with people who were sick so they would change an entire industry by data that didn't exist before is sitting there going what's value and i finally <laughs> said to him i think you're just i think you're just occupying space i think you know the answer i wrote about you so i know you know the answer and he was like yeah i was just backing with you <laughs> And I was just like, okay, so of course, value, values, intrinsic value, we know. And those of us who uh, say we don't, I sometimes wonder if we're afraid of what mm. will happen when we let go of what we know today. So I have a feeling that's what that energy was about. So that's the first part. And then the second part you asked was about, does this apply to government, uh, education? Like, does it go across sector? Yeah. I hope it does, Uh, and that's one of the reasons I'm actually using the term value and value creation, because my instinct from an innovation background is to call it a culture of innovation. And because a culture of innovation says, listen, we're getting together so that we don't become smaller because of our work together. We don't even just become the sum of our parts. We become something that is exponentially more than what each of us can do individually. The more exponential it is, the more we've created a culture of innovation. And uh and then when I listen to that though, it, through like an education sector or government sector, both of which I've worked in, I'm like, yeah, that's not the language they would use. They want to say, hey, are we doing the right things? Are we doing our best work? And so I'm still trying to figure out if value and value creation is the right language or if it's literally as simple as, are we doing our best work? And I leave that um. I think that's a question that will evolve over time because we're such an early days of it, but I am very conscious that ultimately this has to get solved for more than just business. Mm-hmm. It's my area of expertise is business. And I believe we can actually figure out how to do it in business. And I believe we'll actually figure out how to do it elsewhere. So it's a, it's a moving it's a, that's a TBD for me with the language.
0: Well, yeah. I love that you're both of you are in essence, working out loud and allowing Others to sort of partake, right? And where you're wanting to take the intangible lab? So I got, I got two questions left for you. The first is, um, there's an in, there, obviously the definition of an intangible asset versus a tangible asset. I'm assuming has helped provide some of the nucleus to your thinking on the intangible labs itself. So is this fair? And and from a, that perspective of the secondary part of the question is, from an intangible asset perspective. How does this apply that thinking right towards where the knowledge economy is going over the next three, five years?
1: Yeah. So the name of intangible apps came when I read that when we currently take the stock market value of companies and we uh, then take away all the things we can measure. Mm. So IP is something we can measure. Buildings are something we can measure. Um, Equipment is something we can measure. Everything else is considered intangible and so if you just kind of think about what can i walk around and look at and go yep and the thing that walks out the door every night and texts each other and go what about this
2: <laughs> yeah
1: and then the next day it comes back together and said ah like that moment completely intangible and yet in a knowledge economy isn't it the person in the shower who then texts oh what about this and the next conversation is ah that is where we're actually figuring out both the ideation and the building up of ideas so they become real enough to actually solve real problems. So that's how we came up with it is 80% of the market value right now is considered intangible. And we're like, well, let's see if we can put some parameters to that. And it's going to both be a metric, like a number equation and the methodology behind it. So that combined, we can actually teach people this is the way in which you build that in my language, culture of innovation, but hopefully it will translate broader than just business.
0: As a sidebar, I think you just need to go walk down uh, the street to Pixar instead of Incredibles. I think you should have an Intangibles movie set up once this project is really rolling. I think you've got some characters there. Oh, the Intangibles. You oh, and Tim okay. are the the key players, but then there's just others that will be like, I think you're onto something. Do it. Pixar, well, you know, next. Dan, I don't
1: know if you remember this, but one of our conversations I had said is, uh, a whole bunch of us are doing this work of leadership development and figuring out what is it that's missing in business we're doing it largely by ourselves and 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 we're doing it because the business model reinforces that you yeah. get paid to write a book you get paid to do speaking uh you get paid to you know, th- there are the ways in which you uh can do value capture for this kind of work and yet it means that we aren't incentivized because you and I can't write a book together, right? So so what's the way in which we can start to join in that Kate Crusader kind of model? That's hopefully the arm that Intangible Labs starts to do. I've done a preview with folks like at Deloitte and Accenture and some really lovely people I know within that universe. And they're like, we want to build a practice.
0: practice. Oh, there you go.
1: So the idea would be that we're going to help, and we meaning in the largest form, we, whoever we is, because whoever wants to come join, join, um, that includes you, that includes your listeners and the community out there. Uh, How do we join? And then how do we make it so that anyone who wants to take this on can come and bring this to their work? So the idea is not to hold on to it, but to hold it like this. So that we can pick it up together and do the social act of co-creating
0: them. Oh, I love it. Okay. My last question before we find out more about you and obviously the intangible labs. I know you are fond of a of an F. Scott Fitzgerald quote. And so it's an interrogative, perhaps introspective question. And the quote is vitality shows in not only the ability to persist, but the ability to start over. Mm-hmm. From that quote and where you're at with the Intangible Labs, is this a starting over for Nilifer, or is this sort of a composite sketch of how you've continued to evolve your thinking from your early days and your university career?
1: Well, You know, it's a great question. I think it's maybe both. uh, So when I look back at the three bodies of work, and Tim actually sees this so much more clearly than I do. He's like, okay, your first book was about how do you break down the silos within the firm? Mm -hmm. The second book was about there are no silos even outside the firm, like stop thinking there's such a permeable wall within a firm. The third one was how do you connect people regardless of where they come from so ideas can grow? He goes, you've been chasing this idea of how do you do value creation through your body of work? And now you've just had this bigger insight, which is it's the, the feedback loop is stopping us from doing what we need to do. So if the feedback loop is telling us to fire our people because that's considered a cost, not an asset, then we're gonna go ahead and do a bunch of layoffs, which is terrible, by the way, for value creation. All the data will tell you that. Bob Sutton's research from yep. I don't know, 20 years ago will tell you that. <clears throat> and yet, you know, in the last year, people have been doing that behavior. You know, Organizational leaders have been doing that behavior. I think the big restart part this. So it's a continuation, I think, in that way. The big restart was, you know, my son went off to college. And for the last 10 years, I've been, you know, much more trying to juggle my life so that I would be available to him because he he had some needs back when he was six and seven that really kind of changed my career trajectory.
2: Mm-hmm. Now
1: that those requirements are not there every day, I sat back and went through. I literally pulled down all my journals. You can see this backlog of walls and space. I pulled them all down. And I went through them and I thought, what is it that I have been yearning for, but maybe not had the space to do for years? And metrics was in like every couple pages. Wow. I hadn't seen it. I actually hadn't seen it until I sat down and really did this discernment. And I went, oh, oh. And then Tim and I have been in this ongoing conversation about what will actually create change. And then you just kind of merge those two together and you can see why we're both joined up. And then because there is both a quantitative part and a teaching element part, because we're going to have to teach people how to actually instill these metrics. Mm -hmm. Tim, of course, being one of the best educators in the world, knowing how to create design models that will create change. So that's why the two of us are partnering up.
0: It's so exciting. I'm so thrilled for you both and for us, the uh, users of what will be in the intangible labs. Just can't wait to see where this goes next. So thank you. Where can we find out more about uh, the intangible labs and or Nilifer?
1: Well, so uh, intangible labs we are writing on LinkedIn. And so the intangible labs will get you to the website. You can sign up to keep following and then we're going to be sending out regular communications. In fact, we're doing one this Thursday, so I can uh, share that link. But we're just going to have an ongoing, as you talked about, thinking out loud moments. And uh, that will sometimes mean we're, super insightful and sometimes regressing and all of that, we're willing to be in that lab environment. We called it intangible labs, plural, for a reason. We knew this would be a series of cascading learnings over time and with organizations. And then for me, I'm still at nilifermerchant.com and staying active in conversation with people there.
0: Love it. Well, Nilifer, thank you. And thank you for this. And one other thank you, by the way, in a public way for li- or viewers and listeners who may not know, eight years ago, I reached out to Nolan for while I was in the midst of writing a book called The Purpose Effect. And I said, hey, you don't really know me at all, but uh, would you be interested in writing a foreword to a book that at the time was called Dual Purpose? And, uh, and you obliged right away because you're just a giving person, but then had a couple conversations with me about the actual book and said, you might be missing something here. Have I mean, You want to give it a second look? And so I'm really indebted to you, Nilfer, for helping me and steering me in a way that um, allowed the purpose effect to become more than what was the original intention of dual purpose and helped me find that third ring to the the purpose Venn diagram of personal purpose. And then the forward itself was magnificent. So just a double thanks for uh, that and, of course, your friendship. And can't wait to see where Intangible Labs, pluralized, goes next. Thanks, Dan. All right, everyone. A, another episode of Leadership Now. Thank you, Nilifer. And please, everyone, check out uh, all of what's going on with the Intangible Labs on LinkedIn and more to come, I would say. Thanks, Nilifer.